morning and welcome to Two Girls in a Pod. I'm Sharon. I'm Christy. Hello, everyone. Hope all is going well for everyone out there. Today, we're going to talk about fear and apprehension around communication, because I think it's something that's really real. And I think that's one of the things that really holds people up from talking. They may even have something relevant to say, but there's a fear around it. You know, when we talk about what kind of fear, you know, sometimes it's fear of talking to a boss, it's talking to a parent, it's talking to your kids, it's talking to your spouse. Then, of course, we have public speaking fears, which is a form of communication. So we're going to talk about that. And how do we overcome those fears? How do we help to make it easier for people to talk in those kind of situations? And I think one of the places we start is by understanding that we shouldn't assume what the other person's going to respond or how they're going to feel about our conversation. So if we can get rid of that assumption, that will be helpful. The other thing is not taking what the other person says really personally. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. I just asked Christy that question before we got on. Does she ever have fear of communicating? Absolutely. Especially if it comes to public speaking. That one is a really difficult one for me. But it can be just in conversations with people, too. I do remember having some jobs where I would be really apprehensive about talking to a boss or things like that. What was your fear? What what did you think was going to (laughs) happen? I guess I thought they were going to say no, although I did have one boss that literally I was really afraid because he he just seemed really aggressive. Like so. But yeah, I, I remember being in a situation where my schedule changed and I had to go to the boss and say, you know, I need these hours don't work for me anymore. And of course, in that situation, I ended up not being able to stay at the position because they weren't willing to work with me. So, I mean, sometimes it goes that way. It was very anxiety provoking for you. And I think sometimes, once again, I think it's that thing of, he was kind of (laughs) mean, you know, let's just call a spade a spade. He was kind of (laughs) mean. And I remember that fear and apprehension in her. And we don't like to have conversations where we think it's going to become confrontational. So I think people are constantly worried about the confrontation. And then they're followed by, what if I hurt their feelings? Or, and I had a client who asked me that he said, well, how do I say it without hurting somebody's feelings? And I said, well, you talk about it in a way that you come from your first person. It's not about attacking somebody. It's about stating what it is that you want. And then whatever their response is, that's theirs, but not taking ownership of their response. And I know that with this mean boss, I know it was really hard because she got a little bit of PTSD and I'm not just, and when I say that I half teasing, half not she really had some issue around him because he was so aggressive and it wasn't just about the schedule change. I remember you just not wanting to have to deal with him on a daily basis because you didn't want to have to talk to him. (laughs) He didn't want to be bothered and I didn't want to bother him. (laughs) But I think that's the boss thing. I think sometimes when it's, you know, when it's parent child or couples, I think it's a little bit different because I think that Oftentimes we're anticipating what that other person is going to say or how they're going to react or hurting their feelings or it's going to start a fight. You know, and people often start conversations with, I don't want to make you mad or I just want to tell you something, but please don't get mad at me or things like that. And oftentimes I think that minimizes the 
or it changes the dynamic of the conversation right away. Because then the person right away starts thinking what? What are you going to tell me that I should get mad about? <laughs> exactly. And, you know, I mean, in the past, you know, we probably have used those kind of terminology with each other. <laughs> and you're right. That thing goes, you know, the hair on your neck goes, uh-oh, this can be bad. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it, it turns out it's not. But I think that sometimes it's that thing of when we're having those conversations, we go through this mental conversation in our brain of, okay, well, this is what I have to tell Christy. I'm going to say this. Oh my goodness. I know she's going to say this. And and so I have this whole internal dialogue maybe. And so then when I go and have the conversation, and if she doesn't respond the way I do, I've envisioned this, that may switch the conversation too. So either I'm there like, well, why did you change the verbiage? Or And she hasn't said it. It's all this internal dialogue that people have constantly. And, you know, in this job I've done for so long, I'll tell people, you're having a conversation in your head, and then you don't have the conversation with the other person, but you've already drawn a conclusion. Well, they're just going to be mad, so I'm not going to even tell them. But then it creates this dissension, you know, between the people involved. And I don't know, how do you feel like we've overcome some of that? Because I mean, this is 20 years later in our relationship, you know, 23 years later in our friendship and that. So, you know, I mean, we've worked through some of this. Yes, but it's taken every bit of that time, I feel like, to get to where we are in that I know that for me, it's that listening piece, hearing you out completely before I respond. And I think that what I see with people today is that that's not, that's the piece they're missing. I feel like that people are listening to respond right away. And I think that's true. It's almost like they're, you can almost watch and every once in a while, and Christy's right, this is something that we've worked on and and she's getting much better at that piece. I'm not going to say she's a slow learner. No. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, I got the look. No, but I think what it is, is I don't know if we sometimes feel like we're attacked or if we're upset because of how somebody's, if we feel like somebody's being critical of us or putting us down, you know, whatever that is, I think that's really a big piece of that. We start to become defensive. We want to defend our point of view, even though there may be no defense of it. I'm making a statement. There's nothing behind it. It's a simple statement. But I think oftentimes we'll interpret that as an attack on us. There's like, there's a personal attack that just happened. And I think that's where people get to is that that's a personal attack on me. I think oftentimes too, when someone comes to you and they're telling you something, you just automatically think that they're looking for a solution. Unless they start the conversation with, I'm just venting or I'm, just stating how I feel about this. But a lot of times I know with me, that's what I would think is right away. I was thinking, how can I fix this? How can I make it better? So I thought I was doing a good thing with that, but not hearing the whole entire message was taking away from that. And I think that's a really relevant point. And oftentimes when I do therapy, I'll tell people, you know, if you just want the person you're talking to, to, if it's just venting, tell them, look, I just need to vent. I just need to listen to me about whatever. I don't need anything else. People 
Well, a majority of the time go, oh, okay. And then they can kind of relax in and actually listen. But if we don't preface it sometimes that way, and then the person starts to fix it. And I always tell when I do couples counseling, I'll tell women, men are fixers. You're talking to them about a problem. They immediately go to, well, you know what? Why don't you go to your boss? And why don't you tell him this? And why don't you tell him that? And she's starting to fume. I don't need you to tell me what to do. Well, then why are you talking to me? (laughs) You know, so now the fight's on, so to speak. So doing that clarification, I think, is really important. Stating what it is. And, you know, when we talk about how do we get rid of the anxiety, speak what you need to speak. I always tell people, take a breath. Ask yourself, what is it that I need Christy to hear me say? What is the message? And in doing that, then I just will convey the message. But I think oftentimes people will listen, and especially if there's an emotion attached to the conversation, They're going to attach to the emotion. They're not listening to your words now. They're trying to figure out the emotion. And then the emotion drives it. And then I think that's where that miscommunication comes in. Definitely, because that's what I feel like that I was focusing on. Like if you would come to me, but you didn't say, I'm just venting about this or that. If you started talking and you were getting emotional about it or upset about it, And I could see that that made it even more of a thing for me to try and fix it. I felt like that, you know, if you were getting upset about it, you know, that became my focus. Exactly. And I don't think that's uncommon. I think many people do that. And and I think we do that. I think it comes from a place of love. I really do. I think that, you know, when somebody is upset, our first instinct is, how can I make it better? But sometimes it's not about fixing. Sometimes the most relevant thing we do with the human being, even if they're emotional, is to be present with them, to actually be present and to listen with intention in order to hear what's really going on with them. Because when we're able to do that, they're a, then the person who's speaking, I think, feels whatever that emotion is or thought is, there's some validation to it. You know, and I think that that's one of the things we've learned is to kind of listen with intention. And I think if you train yourself to listen with intention, then, and also to do that thing where you kind of take that pause before you talk and say, what is it I need the other person to hear me say? Then I think that helps to decrease that fear around that communication. What do you think helped with you? Well, starting meditation helped me the most, I feel like. Mm. Because quieting my mind in general helped me to be able to give more pause where I needed to. Well, that's a good point. And we we do meditation uh, daily. And I have to agree, meditation really does help you to slow everything down. And I think it helps put things more in perspective, maybe. Realizing that not everything has to be rushed. And I think that sometimes when we're having conversations... I think that's the other thing is that we don't respect each other enough in those conversations that if I say to Christy or Christy says to me, I don't want to continue this conversation right now. There's almost that driving impulse to it has to be done right now. And then you're still in those, whatever that emotional state is. And I always tell people just do a reset. Just say, you know what? I need a reset or whatever you want to call it. I call it reset because it kind of Let's my brain know that I'm going to go away. I'm going to reset and I'm going to come back and reset means I'm going to be able to, to reset, get out of that place 
to rethink or do what I have to do. So I think that, but oftentimes what I hear in a lot of relationships is, you know, I just want him to stop talking to me. I just need a minute. I tell him I need a timeout or whatever. And I turn around and they're right behind me still talking. No, we've got to fix this right now. And the person who's speaking said, I can't fix this right now because now what has happened is when you start talking about whatever's relevant to you and there's that emotional stuff or those conversations that are happening and it now shifts and now it's no longer your conversation. It's no longer your thought or feeling that you're trying to convey. Now stuff starts to shift and it might now become about the other person. So whatever was relevant at that moment is no longer relevant and then it shifts. And so you'll see conversations kind of just move all over the place. Then when you sit back and you say, well, that didn't go so well. (laughs) Well, oftentimes it doesn't go so well is because we stop, we forget once again, what is it I need the other person to hear me say? And I tell people, go back to it if they're not. So if I'm talking to Christine, I'm saying, I really need us to do this. And she goes off and some, okay, no, I understand that, but this is what I really need. And you kind of keep bringing it back until maybe, you know, the light goes on. I don't know. I mean, sometimes it takes people longer than other people. And I get that. But the biggest piece I think that we, you know, and I've done communication for many, many years is part of my practice is that we often talk about, you know, just come from your first person place. All you can talk about is what you're experiencing. But I think the most important piece of that, once again, is listening with intention, being present. And not taking things personally. I think that is one of the biggest things, too, that has helped me because people don't even realize when they're doing that. But we do it all the time, even in brief communications with people. Like with me, I, you know, I sat at the front desk in an office. So when someone would come in, if they were having a bad day, maybe it wasn't directed at me, but I could feel their uptightness. And you have to, in that situation, realize that person, you don't know where they're at. And even though they come across as rude or that sometimes, it's not about you. You don't know what they're facing or what they're dealing with in that moment. So not taking things personally has really been a key factor for me because I feel like that if I can do that, if I can take myself out of it and just realize that person's dealing with something I don't know and it's okay. And I always tell people, you know, we have to remember every time we encounter somebody, everybody has their story. And sometimes we're not a part of that story, but sometimes we'll feel, as Christy said, you'll pick up on those feelings and stuff. I don't know if it's just us as human beings, we're a little bit arrogant that everything is about us. I don't know. (laughs) And sometimes you don't even realize that you're doing it. Maybe it's even someone that you know, and they came in and you tried to say hello to them or whatever, and you felt like they were kind of short or kind of curt with you, but it's not about you. Maybe they have something else going on in their mind. And so it doesn't necessarily mean that it's about you. So I think that's really a big thing, you know, to take away from today, if you can, is that thing of not taking things personal and and not assuming that somebody's being the way they are with you, making those assumptions about how they're going to respond and react. And 
I think once again, not taking things personal, I think is another huge uh, takeaway from today. And above all, listening with intention, being in that moment with somebody. And because it really is an amazing gift that we give to each other is being present. And that means that if I'm being present, I can't be on my phone. I can't be watching TV. I can't be doing all these other things because I am not being present. And people say, well, I can do both. But it still minimizes to some degree, I think, those relationships. Even if you're able to do that, I think the other person that is sitting there talking to you is still going to feel like you're not truly hearing them if it looks like you're distracted. And I think that's a key thing because I think that's another place that I often hear of, oh my God, I don't want to talk to them. I don't know how to have this conversation with them because, you know, if I tell them to please put down your phone or don't play your game or turn off the TV, then that leads to already the argument. So oftentimes people will just say, well, I'll just wait till they're done. Well, then the moment comes and the moment goes. And then the next time it comes up, we're back to the same situation. So there's fear in asking somebody for their attention. There's fear in saying, you know what, Christy, could you um, please put your phone down so that we can have a talk? The fear is, oh my God, now she's going to be mad because how dare I ask her to put her phone down or whatever those thoughts are or whatever that stuff is going on. I think that's another fear of, it's almost like we're inconveniencing people. I think if somebody matters to you, I don't think that should be an inconvenience. I feel like that any time that you can give to somebody, that is like the biggest gift you can give them. I agree. And we make a point of, it's we were just on vacation and with a friend and she asked us, are you guys together a lot? And you know, we are, but we, we are and we aren't. It's kind of weird. <laughs> we work from home, but Christy does her thing. I do my thing. And even though we are together, we're not together. And I think our friends tease us about how can we be around each other so much. But one of the things is, is that when we're doing other things, we respect that. But then we also make a point of taking that time to really connect, you know, whether it's about the day or the next day schedule, whatever that is. And then we take time to do gratitude statements together. We take time to have coffee together. So that our, we do with intention. And I think that's the biggest thing in how do we do stuff with intention? And sometimes I think in my mind, I don't think it's difficult, but I have found in my practice that teaching people to do things with intention is harder than they, ex they understand or they expect. They, they kind of think, well, I can do that. But then when you actually do it, that means you have to stop sometimes something that you think is relevant. But as you do things with intention, you will find those things that you thought were relevant are not as relevant as you thought. I always feel like there are things that you can do that you don't even realize that you're on autopilot. It's stuff you're doing yourself and you don't even realize it. And then maybe later on, you're thinking, that's why we end up in the situation where, did I really lock the door? Because you didn't do it with intent. You didn't pause give pause to that moment and really focus on what you were doing. You were on autopilot and you just did it. And I think that we are so much on autopilot when we communicate. And I see this when I, and especially when, you know, I love doing couples therapy and even family therapy because I love watching those dynamics because 
I can see when people go on autopilot, I hear the same verbiage coming out of their mouth week after week after week. And they don't even realize they're saying the same things because they go, like Christy said, they go right to autopilot and they use the same verbiage and they don't even realize until I put, I said, do you know that you've said that two weeks in a row? Well, I don't think so. Oh yeah, you've said it two weeks in a row. And as we start doing that, as we start identifying it and bringing stuff into people's awareness, and that's all I tell people therapy is, is I bring stuff into people's awareness. If I'm not aware of it, I will not work on it. If I'm not aware of it, I don't know it's an issue. So therefore it just stays an issue because there's no awareness to it. When we talk about communication, there people have such a lack of awareness for how we communicate. Because we think if we talk, we're communicating. No, sometimes we're just talking to talk. When we talk about fear of communication, sometimes I can tell people who have that, even if they haven't said it yet when we're doing, when I'm doing therapy, because they will just talk. Well, you know, the other day we went and we did this and I, you know, I just don't understand. And, and they do this rapid talk and it's anxiety. And it's like, okay, hold on, slow down. And as soon as you tell them slow down, you can just see that anxiety, that more anxiety rush into them because they don't know. And they'll say, well, I, I do talk. No, they're using a lot of verbiage, but there's no meaning behind the verbiage. And I think that when we're using that communication, communication is about somebody. When we communicate, it's because we want somebody else to hear something. And when they don't. I feel like it's about being present. And that's one of the things that people, I think, struggle with because we're so busy thinking about either stuff that's happened in the past or our brain is thinking about what's coming up, what's coming next, what we're planning. We're not being in that moment. And that's why we can't give our full attention where we need to. And I think the other thing is too, is I want, I often wonder this with communication is for people, what if I tell that person this and what if they don't care? There's that fear. What if I tell somebody, you know, when you do that, that really hurts me and I don't like feeling that hurt. And their response is, well, I guess you got to get over that or whatever that response might be, not validating or realizing that, that it is hurtful. And I think that I see that a lot when I do therapy with people is they don't hear that they, or, or their response is one of those, well, well, I don't know why that would bother you in the first place. So it, it's like, it's the same thing. Get over it. Whatever I said or did is not. And so I understand why there would be, that would be anxiety provoking because that response would then once again be hurtful. But if the person saying it realizes that what's really relevant and important in that moment is their message, not the person's response. And I think that's where we get so, where that's that anxiety provoking thing is we're always so worried about the other person's response. We do not realize when I am starting the conversation or it is my conversation, what's relevant is in that moment, I just have to know that what I'm saying is the important piece of that. I cannot control how somebody's going to respond to me. Yeah, it might not always be the response that you want, just like I was saying with the job. I knew I had to talk with him and I knew I might not be able to keep that job, which I didn't, but I had to be heard. Exactly. Being heard. And I hear this over and over and over again. I don't know why I'm going to talk to him or to her. 
I don't feel like they hear me anyway. I've been telling them the same thing for a year, two years, 10 years, two months, and nothing changes. They don't hear me. So then the, the thing becomes sometimes it's not that fear then goes into almost the complacency. This is the way it is. This is the way it's always been. And this whole montage of self-talk, that's not even true. But once again, once communication is shut down, it's hard to re-engage that until both people learn to be present. And people, it's not just about what we say. Like Christy was saying, if somebody comes into the office and she can feel it on them, our communication is not just our the words that we speak, but we look at people to see if what they're saying matches with what we're feeling. And oftentimes, when it doesn't, there's that incongruency, we get confused. And then we're almost have anxiety about talking to that person because we're talking to them and it's like, is everything okay? Yeah, everything's okay. Why are you asking? Or their tone. But it could be their body language, their posture is telling us something totally different. So we almost get a, we almost get an insecurity or maybe fear that I'm going to assume something or what I'm feeling is not real. And what we feel and what is real, but the other person just may not understand that they're presenting in a certain way. But our communication is not just our verbiage. It is also when we're present, our body language will say we are present. If I'm talking to Christy and she doesn't have a phone in her hand and she doesn't have anything, and I'm sitting here talking to her, but I'm looking at her. And what's our famous line when you're looking off? Why are you looking off into the middle distance? <laughs> I'll tell her that. Why are you looking off into the middle distance? People don't know that. It's from Night at the Museum. <laughs> we often use uh, movie quotes. <laughs> yeah. I just realized as I was doing this, because, you know, this is very organic and we just speak forward. I realized I talk a lot with my hands. So I'm here talking with my hands and stuff. And I'm thinking, you know, nobody sees me. Why am I still talking with my hands? But I didn't know if Christy had noticed that because every once in a while she's looking over at me and I'm thinking, is it because I'm using my hands so much? <laughs> Talk about communication. <laughs> Did you notice that? Yes. <laughs> so you cannot see it, but I am very animated right now. <laughs> and, but, and when we talk about this being organic, you know, we're talking about, we want it organic because we want it to be in the moment. We want to be present. And that this is what we're present with is, is this at this moment. This is what exists, you know, and having this conversation. And I asked Christy, you know, because she has this anxiety and around communication, which is interesting to me because I think she's one of the best communicators. I love listening to her describe things. She has. One of the most descriptive ways of doing it to, and you formulate a picture and it makes sense. If it's describing a feeling or whatever that is, she does it in this amazing way. So her communication skills amaze me. And yet she has this fear and she's had anxiety about this podcast because she has to speak. Definitely. <laughs> it does give me anxiety, even though I'm not. In front of people, it's still, 
gives me anxiety. Is it fear of how you're going to communicate or? What happens with me is I feel like I shut down. My brain shuts down. I go blank. So I have a hard time composing my thoughts and, and communicating that. I think that's a really interesting thing. You know, when she said that her brain shuts down is oftentimes that is what I hear. People will say, I get this fear of conveying what I think or what I feel to somebody else or whether it's an individual or multiple individuals. And they say, my brain, it goes blank. And it's like, I'll have the feeling. I know what I'm feeling, but I don't know how to convey it because all the words have just left my head. It's kind of sad to me that we're conditioned or however we get to that place because our words, our thoughts, our feelings, our behaviors, those are ours. Those are truly the only thing that we have that is ours. And you can't take that away from somebody. But we will often take away somebody's voice. And it's subtle. I don't think that there was anybody in Christy's life who sat there and said, okay, Christy, I'm going to make it to where you can't speak. I think it's subtleties. And it's those subtleties that then lead to that thing of my mind goes blank and I don't know what to say. That is that fear. Am I going to say something wrong? Am I going to do this? Am I going to do that? You know, we you get so much into the questioning mode that therefore we don't have the ability to speak. And I'm so grateful that Christy's on this journey with me to do this podcast. And because I feel like she, once again, as, as you get to know her through this podcast and you get to know me, you're going to see about our communication. You're going to see about our relationship. And we want this to be organic. And so we even talked about that. What stuff are we going to share and what stuff are we not going to share? Because well, you don't have to share everything. This is our way. And she, she also gets fearful of, well, what if people find this boring? <laughs> we had this conversation. <laughs> I said, you know, the people who are going to tune into this are the people who are going to want to learn something about something. We're not going to have people tune into this who are all about gaming. Because guess what? Y'all ain't going to get a whole lot of that. We don't know anything about that. Nope. But I do have a funny story about that. Real quickly, this is how much we're not gamers. We did get Rock Band. So go back a few years. We had a PlayStation Rock Band. Our neighbors, we asked him to come over and play Rock Band with us. I'm going to set this up with I'm dyslexic. So we're playing Rock Band and I'm playing the bass. Christy's playing guitar and lead guitar and uh, our neighbor June is playing drums. <laughs> They're booing us off the stage. The reason they're booing us off the stage is because, guess what? I'm dyslexic. I miss every note because I can't tell which note is to play. And at this point now, my band members, my real life band members here are getting very frustrated because <laughs> we can't get past the first song. I don't think we get past the first what minute before we're booed off the stage. Yeah. It was pretty bad. But Christy comes up with a brilliant idea. Tell me, learners, tell me what you did. <laughs> I would watch her notes that were coming up. And because I knew what color went with which finger you're supposed to tap it with, I would tell her ring finger, middle finger, index finger, ring finger, middle finger. <laughs> so it made it very interesting. We were a very dysfunctional band. <laughs> but 
the really good thing is in that is that guess what? I can now play bass on rock band because I know my index finger, middle finger, <laughs> ring finger. Ring, ring finger. And I don't have to say it over and over. <laughs> no, so she was trying to play, you know, so we had to do this whole part. So that's why you will probably not hear a whole lot about gaming on our podcast. So just so you know, we just can't do that. <laughs> but, you know, once again, this is very organic. You know, we're going to do our best to provide information to you guys and, and to help you see that with practice, which is changing the way you think about something, you can change behaviors. You can change attitudes. Today, we were talking about that fear of communicating. And one of the things we talked about is once again, speak and listen with intention. Make that person matter because I promise you it's one of the greatest gifts we can give somebody is when we actually listen to them and be present with them so they know their words matter. What they think and what they feel matters. Do not take things personally. Allow others to have their thoughts, and that's okay. They're allowed to think and feel how they think and feel. Even if you don't agree. Exactly. The other thing is, is that don't assume, don't assume what the other person's going to say. Don't assume how they're feeling. Don't assume that you have to answer immediately. If somebody asks for a reset, give them the moment because once again, they may go blank. And if they go blank, let them have the reset. Or if they're over emotional and they can't get the words out the way they're supposed to, Let them have a reset. Let them have that moment so they can come back and address it. If it's your children, listen to them with intention. What they have to say is important. We didn't touch on the parent-child thing, but that is so huge. I can't tell you how many times a child will... I've done a lot. uh, I'm also a play therapist, and I've done a lot of work with children over the years. And how many times a kid will say, My mom and dad don't listen to me. They have important, relevant things to say. But sometimes when we're adults, we think we know it all. And you may, but it doesn't mean that they don't have the ability to say that. Because when we shut them off and when we tell them all those things, I don't need to hear what you have to say right now. Or they put their hand up, they stop the child. That starts that process of my voice does not matter. And I get it. Sometimes it's not the most appropriate time, but that doesn't mean that you cannot say to that child, I know what you have to say is important. Can we talk about it in a little bit? Just remind me a little bit later. Or when they're in trouble, we will often sit there and say, whether it's the teacher who said this or that, and they do that thing of shutting them down. Let them have their voice. And when they're done, you can say, well, I understand that, but this is still the consequence or whatever, however it has to end. But shutting them down, not listening to them with intention. And I tell people, our children are important. When I'm in therapy, if the kids are in there and the kid has to say something, you know, oftentimes at first parents would get upset, like, I'm talking. This is a grown-up conversation or things like that. And I'll be there like, whoa, wait a minute. How about if we make a rule in the office? If your child wants to talk to you, they can just come up next to you. and They put their hand on the knee, on the parent's knee. And then that tells me it's time for me to pause. 
Because sometimes what I have to say is not as important as what the child has to say. That means parent stops, listens to the child, the child goes back and plays, we resume our conversation. It's not that hard, you guys, to make somebody feel relevant. And in our communication, how we listen, how we speak, helps people to feel relevant. Not only other people, but it helps us to feel relevant. So remembering to use those things, do your reset. Don't take things personally. Don't make assumptions. Listen and speak with intention. Make it be important. Realizing, especially when you're speaking with kids, I think you always have to keep in mind that you're shaping the way they see the world. How we communicate with them. I always tell parents, and I t- not just parents and adults, Christy and I do not have children. We're around a lot of children. <laughs> but we will have an awareness when we're around children of how we act and how we behave. Because one of the things is, is that we know adults are role models for children. Look at how your children communicate. Your children will communicate the way that you teach them what they see. And I love parents who get mad at their kids for some of their behaviors. And I'm looking at the parent going, Oh, I wonder where they learned that from. <laughs> and I'll tell that to my parents. And it's like, ooh, <laughs> you know, it's like that wake up. Because you can tell them something over and over and over again. But if you are not doing that, they don't see that. That's what's going to create the bigger picture for them. Not what you said. They won't remember that, but they will see how you handled things, what you did. So even with children, remember the rules that apply for us as adult listening with intention, hearing, you know, speaking with intention with our children, not buying into the emotion and the behavior the child's having, but actually the behavior is oftentimes what people will address just as in adults will address the behavior before we address to what the real message is. So the same thing applies for kids. Don't assume that you know how they're going to act and respond and what they're thinking. Don't take what they do personally. When they're misbehaving, it's not a a reflection on you as a parent. Maybe they're just having a bad day. And it's okay for them to have a bad day, just as it is for us. But doing the same thing, not taking it personally, no assumptions, listening with intention, speaking with intention. And sometimes I even tell parents, when I work on this with little kids, if they get emotional, I'll teach them to ask for a reset. And they'll say, can I have a reset? And then they go reset, come back, and then they can talk about what it is because they get very anxious when they're speaking to adults. Children get nervous. They are fearful of speaking to adults a lot of the times because guess what? Adults hold all the power. They truly have no power (laughs) and they're not dumb. They know that. So therefore, children often have fear in speaking. So we can nurture them so that they don't have that fear. So. That's one of the things that's work as human, you know, as humans as in our communication. Let's work making communication something that people can do without fear of criticism and all the other stuff that can go on with that. Let's help eliminate some of the fear with kids and with our spouses, our friends, our family by being present, by doing those things. That's the really important piece of this. Any closing thoughts? You know, as soon as I say that, I I get that wide eye. (laughs) 
that wide eye look. Deer like, in the headlight. It's like, oh my god, but I gotta speak. <laughs> I have been present for all of this. I've heard you. <laughs> you gotta love it. Once again, thank you so much for joining us and uh, listening to us ramble around here and. You know, we so look forward to you joining us again next week. We will have our next week's will also will be continuation of communication, but it's on ways that we can have communication and it's about setting up boundaries, using communication to set up boundaries. Cause yeah, and a lot of people they're like, I don't like boundaries. I don't want to listen to that. <laughs> But boundaries are super duper important, but it's how we communicate our boundaries that's really important. Okay. So our next one is how do we communicate boundaries? Talk about anxiety provoking, huh? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Anyway, once again, thank you so much for joining us at Two Girls in a Pod and we will catch you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.